Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living. And we will win the day, which is out on paperback. So make sure you go and get that if you haven't got that and put it in your classes. Yeah, gonna talk about your audible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to push the paperback right now. You can check out my audible on Amazon, uh African American athletes who made history. <laughs> I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, uh, the Institute of Black World and Political Activism of the 1970s. As well as blood, sweat, and tears, JK the Florida AM and the history of black college football. Welcome back, Lou. How you doing, uh, brother? It's been, how you... it's been a while. You... It's been a while. Hey man, how you feeling now that your 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 baby is in 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 the world, in the flesh, in 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 real, you can touch her for the second time because you had the hardback version. Now then we got a little small update and we got the paperback ready for classes and, and Christmas and stockings and whatnot. Yeah, no, it is the stocking stuffer uh, for Christmas or Kwanzaa. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm excited. And Hanukkah, you know, the, big, the and Hanukkah. Hanukkah. My bad, uh, my bad. Uh, I'm just saying, like, I'm, we got to get all the holidays. You know, and, and whatever, just just a gift day, just the holidays. Um, Black Friday. Yep, yep. <laughs> now, you know, I'm excited because uh, I'm, I'm sure I've shared this story before a lot of times. But, you know, I will. When it came out, I you know in in seventeen, I asked them like, "Are you putting out a paperback?" Because like, oh, we don't do that. I was like, "Oh gosh, this is terrible." And I spent the next like three years trying to find someone to get it out in paperback, and everybody was like, oh, "It costs a lot," but no, they didn't really check right. And then I brought it to you, and you brought it to Kentucky, and it was like within two days, it was done. So of course, I you know I, I still haven't seen the deal. I don't know what the money's like. You know, I'm pretty sure Derek Derek has a three sixty on me. Uh, I'll be doing like free speaking tours for the next three years or something, probably. But I'm just excited that it's out and it's affordable. Uh, I think it's like 21 on Amazon and some change. So, um, that's exciting because I, I always wanted, you know, get it to the people, get it to the people. And, and again, I just sat, if you haven't heard the story, I just sat there for two years and just researched stuff from 1945 to 1968. Just, reading as much sports sections as I could in the black press, you know, um, Ebony jet. I, you know, I got every sports page from like, what I like 1955 to 1968 in papers like Louisiana weekly. And so I read them all. And then I try to like put everything together and tell a story. So I'm excited that it's out. I finally got my first copies, my official copies today. So, so I'm juiced. I got one around here in my office. Um, and, and so I can't wait to, you know, get them to my peoples and then buy some more. So I get more to my peoples. First of all, congratulations. Uh, second of all, I'm Suge Knight. I'm like, you know, you was in prison, <laughs> like Tupac and I came with this deal, death row records. I I'm on the stage at the source awards talking about if you don't want somebody all in your videos, mm-hmm. uh, uh, come into Def Jam. That is such a, now that I say that out loud, it is such a specifically dated reference. Um, but I appreciate it from people our age. Um, no, nah, man, I'm super glad I could help, man. We we had talked about this for like on and off for, I want to say, at least two years, right, um, uh, about trying to figure out how to get your book in the paperback. And we talked about, you know, other presses and and, and you reaching out and, and, and all, you know, all the kind of how the sausage gets made on the publishing side of the agenda. So I'm just happy that I'm in a position – to to uh, to lend an assist to to really do a Magic Johnson so you can get your Statue of Liberty dunk on like James Worthy. Wow, uh, wow, yeah, you that, tried that, to get James Worthy on me. I, okay, yeah, James Worthy. I mean, could have been like well, you, you know, could have you, 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 been my Doc Rivers to Dominique. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, no, I don't be. I don't have no Dominique references off the top of my head, but that's all right. That's fair. Enough. Wow, um, wow, shots fired. Um, <laughs> wow. So yeah, no, really, no, for real. I'm really, really excited. And for those who are uh, you know, looking for copies of the book, please, Amazon, University Press of Kentucky, uh, reach out. I want to thank Ashley Runyon, the editor-in-chief at the University Press, who's who uh, allowed me and, and my colleague, Gerald Smith, to, to co-edit the Race and Sports series. So for my academic listeners out there who are 
who got book ideas and book manuscripts in the process, please send them to me uh, and the University Press. We're soliciting and, and reading and, and, and discussing and evaluating manuscripts as we speak. Uh, and so we're really, I'm really excited about this role of, of really kind of you know, trying to shape and craft some of the next generation of scholarship on race and sports. And I think it's so fitting that it starts with uh, your book, uh, We Will Win the Day. Uh, and so it's it's a really exciting moment uh, that's really happened, I think, in the last, what, like like 18 months almost, right? Like, Yeah, it was pretty quick. No, it was probably, yeah. I mean, I wrote the Ford, the new Ford last, I was done with it, you know, I think by last, could have been last September, around October, November, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, when we went through the edits a few months ago, I had to add like one or two sentences, but you know, it, it, it um, it kept its form. So for, for about a year, I think we were in the middle of the election cycle. So I hadn't, I didn't know who won yet. Uh, um, yeah, so, yeah. you know, the Warnock stuff, I, I think I went back and added something in there. Um, but yeah, like, I, you know, when I was writing the original book, I was writing it 2016. So I would say 90% of it was written before Cap kneeled. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe like 50%. I wrote during that semester with no sabbatical. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of prep time. Uh, so, but then, you know, you teach the same classes for 10 straight years over and over. You're good after a while. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, you know, and then Cap. Allegedly, you know, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. And then Cap happened, right? And so, I mean, you can get that sense when I'm writing it. I'm like, okay, let me put this Mudcat Grant. Uh, you know, where he's protesting the anthem. That was somewhere in the middle. I was like, you know what, you know, let me pull it off. Let me just start it right here. Um, mm-hmm. just because that was going on. So I was paying attention to all that. But again, I t- you know, it's held up because it's it's just that history in the civil rights movement, right? And so that like I said that hasn't changed and it's nothing new, but it's just I think it's just still a great book to to look at what guys were doing. And and look, there's only one chapter on like the revolt of the black athlete and there's a chapter on activist athletes but a lot of it's just like okay how folks saw sports as part of the civil rights movement um and not necessarily these athletes speaking out because most of it wasn't that right it was Mm -hmm. it was you know these little victories you know you know you know boycotting and protesting um to make sure that you know washington you know how you know the washington football team has a black player you know just little stuff like that you know, in, in Los Angeles, you know, it's 60,000 people boycotting, like trying to boycott the Coliseum over that. And so I'm just trying to tell those stories. No, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic book. I think we've, we, we've talked about this on the show and, and, and offline. And I think that is it is it is necessary. I think it's a, it's an important uh, and essential part of the way we, we teach kind of the, the, the what I used to call uh, the black sporting experience at the class called that. And I think that it's it, it gets at the crux, right? It gets at, it, and it moves us beyond the sim. I don't say simplistic, but it gets us beyond the basics of like Jackie Robinson. Gets us beyond the basics of the revolt of the, the black athlete in '68, and it gets us into the to really the nuance of the ways in which sport was used, and and in some cases not used, right? Uh, to 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 really push and support. Uh, the civil rights movement. So I think it's a it's a fantastic text. So I just want to say salute, congratulations, brother. I'm really excited for you. We've been talking about that. Uh, uh, this is the first podcast where we can actually say that it's out. The last couple have been like right. it's coming soon. So this is this is the one, right? Um, and so you know, I, this is super excited. And I and I actually want us. We actually we were going to do this last week, but I'm glad we held off to you actually got your copy. So I, it, it feel it feels fresh. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I had to ask for my coffee. It's not knocking you guys. That I guess part of the contract, the the other company had to get some too. And I was like, you know, I got the update in the email. I was like, oh, cool. I'm about to get a copy. And then I got that U, U, uh, UPS update. It's like it's been delivered. And like it wasn't delivered here. And I looked. It's like somewhere <laughs> in California. I was like, dang. Uh, but you guys have been real. You know, Kentucky. You know, if you guys are looking to to publish Kentucky, they're real cool. Um, Ashley's awesome. Uh, just super, you know, fast, you know, I, you know, had some people inquiring about book reviews or just getting books out today. And she was back to me within like 20 minutes. So, and also if you guys want me to autograph a book, I have sloppy handwriting. Um, just let me know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to buy some stuff and then, you know, I can always get you stuff at cost or, or you know, 
as cheap as Amazon or cheaper. So hit me up. Are you signing books at the McDowell's? Yeah, yeah, McDowell's, you know, you know, McDowell's. You know, I should, you know, I should do, I should buy, buy more of my foot, my more of those football cards and put them in with each book. You know, a little surprise. You can read my book and open the pack of like 91 score that's already been beamed up. Get you a Buck Buchanan Hall of Famer. Actually, that's 90 score for the Buck Buchanan. Look at I'm that. sitting there right there. Yeah, Hall of Famer card. That's what I'm talking about. Hall of Fame, Grambling University. That's right. Um, yeah, man. So let's talk a little bit about what's happened in the, in the little bit of interview. We, we've had a lot of sports happen. But we haven't had a lot of, of I think, for, for what, what this podcast is about, which is really investigating kind of the, the historical context for kind of contemporary sports issues. And I think we last left off uh, about Kyrie. But since then, we, I think we had three topics today. And I want to, you know, we're going to talk with about the Phoenix Sun owner, Robert Sarver, who jumped into the headlines this mm. week last uh, week huh last yeah. week uh and then this weekend we'll follow that with a little discussion of uh jimmy lake the head football coach at the university of washington and then we'll wrap it up with uh can we say a.a ron rogers yeah. uh yeah. Oh, with, an- with another covid uh update uh that in fact we just saw before we prep breaking news of the uh, of at least the initial the initial fine yeah. uh levied by the NFL. But let's start real quick with uh, Robert Sarver. For those that didn't know, ESPN released a uh, article on, let me get the date right, because I'm trying to be a good historian here. It's like last um, Thursday, right? Yeah, uh, November the 4th, uh, detailing, I think, months and months of investigative reporting about the kind of harassment and racist culture that uh, is inside of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, really in particular with the owner, Robert Sarver's uh, tenure as owner. Um, this article, of course, can be found on ESPN uh, and was uh, written by Baxter Holmes. And this is a big, this was a breaking story. And I think one of the things that let us know, if, if you were on Twitter, if you follow the NBA really closely, that the Phoenix Suns released a statement before the article actually came out. <laughs> Right, right. Weeks before, weeks <laughs> like before, like weeks before, they were something. like, yeah, yeah, they were like, oh, an article is going to come out. We categorically deny it. And like people was like, we haven't even seen the article. What do you categorically deny it? Um, right. But <laughs> but the article came out uh, this week and, and it was deeply reported. Um, and and we highly recommend uh, listeners take you know a few minutes to go to go check this out. Um, but I will say that there is a tremendous amount of accusations of racism, uh, misogyny, uh, the acceptance of sexual harassment inside the workplace in the Phoenix Suns organization. Uh, And it starts at the top, and in this case with Robert Sarver. Um, Most notably, I guess the pull quote from this article has been, uh, he asked, uh, reportedly asked uh, Earl Watson or told Earl Watson that uh, Draymond, Draymond Green was running up and down the floor saying the N-word. He said, uh, repeated this using the actual N-word. And he's like, why can't I, if Draymond can say it, Mm. why can't I say it? Said this to his black head basketball coach uh, who who reprimanded him immediately saying, you can't say that uh, in this conversation. Um, And uh, this is really, uh, I think, indicative of the kind of uh, information produced uh, in this Holmes uh, article, uh, but what's the overarching? What's our overarching takeaway? How do we contextualize someone like Robert Sarver uh, within the context of, of of sports ownership? A and then B within this kind of contemporary landscape, really post George Floyd in the NBA. Yeah, racist. Um, no, you know what? I you know can I can I say something? When when yeah. all this came out weeks ago, not just the last week stuff, I said it's done, right? Like, because we're so used to, right? You had the Clippers and dance, uh, not not dance there, but you had the Don Sterling and the Clippers, right? And and mm-hmm. that was playoffs, and they were about to go on strike or boycott. I think we're, we're using the word strike now, and and had their jerseys inside out. And nothing happened. But eventually he was forced to, to sell his team for, for $2 billion, right? You had in the National Football League, the Carolina Panthers, and their their you know owner um, had some racist and sexist things, right? And eventually mm-hmm. he was forced to sell his team for $2 billion. And then last 
you know, post George Floyd, you actually have NBA players going on strike, right? And, you know, to me, it's a no-brainer, right? Like, okay, they're going on strike. If it didn't go on strike when the rumors circulated and, like, these things don't know, you know, people put stuff out there, but sometimes people just don't put that out there with those <laughs> specifics, right? You knew right, something right. happened, right. especially the way they got in front of it, okay? They're going to go on strike. And then last week, the article came out. I'm like, hey, they, this is it. This is this is your move. It, to me, it'd be the easiest thing, right? Because, you know, people only are willing. We've talked about this times when we talked about John Gruden in our last episode. They're only willing to call something racist when they hear it, right? And this, to me, it was, this was very clear. <laughs> this, yeah. They used the N-word. And I think, you know, I don't you know. You know, part of it too is like, you know, I don't want to say white people use it, but there's a there's a segment out there who who use it or been wanting to use it and they just use rap as an excuse, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not that they feel like they should, you know what I mean, that they should be able to use it because of rap. They feel they should be able to use it because they have the power and they're gonna use it, and that's just their excuse. And I'm proud of Watson for calling him out on that, right? What's disappointing is that. And of course, it's not my career, but those are guaranteed contracts. You had a hundred million dollar guaranteed contracts. You have like three guys. Sorry, DeAndre Ayton, that has yeah. <laughs> three. You know, a hundred three guys with. I think you know. I'm gonna go ahead and count Bridges as a hundred million dollar guy, right? With hundred million dollar contracts, they don't literally have anything to lose in doing this. It's not like right. there's a gang of endorsements they're gonna lose. I mean, Devin Booker's linked up with the Jenners, right? He'll yeah. always have billions of dollars to tap into. Chris Paul does State Farm, and if and we'll get to this later. If A.A. Ron is not getting banned from State Farm, then I know Chris Paul's, <laughs> Chris Paul's not. Chris Paul's keeping his job, right? <laughs> I know yeah, he's true. not, right? So yeah. just take that easy victory. But in the, in the case of owners, I think this is and – and I hate to – like I don't want to paint a broad brush, but this is like that owner that you suspected had always existed. But, you know, most owners – are good about, especially the ones who are, are, are racist. They're, you know, uh, you know, they're pretty good about staying out of the public eye. Right. And, and, and for the longest time, time you get the sense that he did, um, he was just known as being cheap. Yeah. But I think, you know, there's a lot of these billionaires who look down on their, their black, you know, they're, they see themselves as owners and they look down on their black, you know, employers or employees. Right. Um, in a way that I'm, I'm sure they, they think they save these guys' lives, right? And, mm-hmm. and if you're coming from that perspective that I saved your, your life, then I'm going to be able to do what I want to do. I'm going to say the N-word if Draymond Green says the N-word. The other thing that caught me off is like that racist trope he operates under free agency, right? That mm. idea that, what was he saying? Something about, you know, we should get strippers to entrap them, right? This kind yeah. of racist trope of this like very hypersexual black man right mm-hmm. it's it's and and he played into that and he believes that like i mean think about it he's owned that team for almost 17 years been around a lot of you know solid guys been around a lot of guys and that's what he thinks about you right and and to me that's you know that's a that's a no-brainer i'm not you know i'm not playing that night and understanding if i do that adam silver steps in the team gets sold and you know we just move on the yeah. other thing, I know I'm talking. I know I'm talking. No, no, about no, 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 no. That's the other good. thing, and it's the same thing we said about John Gruden. They went and got black guys to be the face of the. He's not racist, right? Mm, and, you know, mm-hmm. Monty Williams had to put his reputation on the line, right? James Jones had to put his reputation on the line, and Monty Williams got reputation. He is the yes. next Tony Junji type reputation, right? Like he, yeah. last summer he could do no wrong. Like I, you know. I tell students all the time, and I tell my own kids, everything you want is on the other side, side hard. hard. That's, right? that, is, that, is, that is, he's spitting bars. Right. And he, <laughs> and you can even see it in his press conference. He was like conflicted but at the same time, you know, this, you know, and Monty's gone through a, st- a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just like, so it's not him. Like, what else do you want him to say, right? He's, he can't go like, F this, he's racist, and he has to play that role. And that's what's so upsetting. You know, you put these people out there knowing that they have to play that role, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't ask Frank Kaminsky, you know, Frank to take mm-hmm. anything like that to, to, you know, say it. it's always, it's, you know, the, the you know, the you want to get the black guy first to, to like, you know, maybe take some sting off it, right? Mm-hmm. To, to say, oh, no, there's no way this could be that. And then people are like, we'll see, there you go. Um, so those are my quick thoughts. I know it, it took long listeners, but that's where I'm at. 
No, I think it's good. I think it also is an important opportunity for us to think about how, uh, in some ways, Robert Sarver's, uh, I'm, I'm still going to use alleged because, it, the, you know, we haven't had, we haven't seen the evidence, but we've, we've seen the reporting. Let's look at that, right? Um, that his racism and sexism um, also didn't provide him with plausible deniability. He's got a black general manager. He's hired right, multiple right. black coaches. He's paying black players, as you said, $100 million contracts. And so the way that we have used this kind of cartoon definition of racism that uh, that operates in, I think, the public discourse about who it, who is and isn't racist. Like the only right. people who are racist in some in the ways in which um, uh, certain segments of the public understand it uh, are, are clearly like black people are racist because they talk about race, right? That that that's right. one way right. it's used. And then the that other folks, CRT, sorry, yeah, <laughs> right. And then the other group is that like. It was. It, it's got to be it, the most inflammatory type of racism. It's the David Duke, Ku Klux right. Klan, neo-Nazi racism, right? Um, right? And so someone who is both wealthy by corporate terms, by in real terms, right, a billionaire, and then has this corporate infrastructure around him, uh, by definition, can't be racist because that doesn't right. make, that just, that's not good business sense, right? It, it, it doesn't make... Uh, the logics of it's not rational decision making, as we would say. Uh, and I actually think that what what Robert Sarver does is gives us a, a, a kind of real insight into the complex ways in which we can have uh, what we would celebrate as positive results in particular areas, the hiring of James Jones, right. Monty Williams, Earl Watson, and still have systemic racist structure. In fact, this is actually a, a, a clear, great example of critical race theory, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. right. The cornerstone of critical race. We didn't even talk about this in the notes, but I would, uh, but I will go here. Just go off, go yeah, off. Go off, right? Uh, the critical race theory, one of the cornerstones of critical race theory is Derek Bell's racial convergence theory, right? So Derek Bell, the great legal scholar at Harvard and a number of other institutions, most notably famous professor for Barack Obama and others, uh, posited that one of the reasons that the civil rights movement was successful, Brown and other kind of key legal challenges, uh, was that it dovetailed with larger national goals, most notably winning World War II initially, and then the second half winning the Cold War. And that those initiatives meant that, that the Achilles heel for the America to be the leader of the free world was how it treated its Black folks. So in order to maintain this goal for this Cold War ideal, that it had to rectify, fix, at least moderate uh, its racial Achilles heel. And this is what's motivating the decision making. So he points to the fact that when you read the Brown decision all the way through, one of the things that um, uh, that the decision notes is how uh, in the global marketplace of ideas of, of, of the Cold War, uh, this demonstrates that America's commitment to democracy is true, right? This is part of this broader idea. And so what we see here is Sarver is allowing, is willing to hire black coaches uh, under these, I think, even racist terms. He, I think he says, it's reported in his article, he says, of course you hire black coaches because all the players are black, right? So this, because they can speak their language, right? Like, right, 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 right. Like in these kind of very, as if black folks somehow speak a different uh, code or whatnot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so you can have these these successes in racialized terms, uh, but they converge with Robert Sar- Sarver's desire to win a championship, a uh, to make money in his franchise, b uh, and all that converges. And so you can have these positive results and still have these kind of racist uh, means to get there. And I think he's a he's a great example when we when we kind of tease this out in a few years in the next volume of We Will Win the Day volume three <laughs> the updated version uh right. we'll be able to tackle this uh, i think in a much more uh sophisticated way in the ways is racism because donald sterling in some ways uh, had some of that but he was not nearly as sophisticated as sarver right like right, right. you know donald sterling had been operating as 
account. He's a real estate agent, so you knew he was racist. Right. Like he was like, I mean, investors are owners. Yeah. I mean, he got, I mean, he basically, you know, he was um, uh, sued for uh, real, you know, discrimination in in selling, right? Donald Sterling was in a way that like Sarver's, at least business side, has not been implicated. But I suspect what this means is the corporate culture on the other side of the agenda is is just as foul as the athletic culture. Well, the other thing too, before we move on, is we talk about Sterling. He did the same, and he's not as as clean. But look, he got the NAACP Image Award. He had uh, what's his name, Elgin Baylor, as the face of the Clippers mm-hmm. for a long time, right? And oh my God, there's some terrible draft picks. But still, you know, he, you know, Doc Doc Rivers was his coach, right? He was yeah. dating some black, you know, a black girl, right? Telling yeah. her all this stuff, right? So on the on the you know on the facade of it, right? You know, it's it appears there's no way he could be this guy because right. you know the NAACP gave him a award or and he's got Elgin Baylor as his GM and Elgin been raising this this had been raising that point for a long time right how bad he was right <laughs> not only just cheap but just you know pointing to some things I believe he fired I mean he sued him at one point right for and then all, he hired him back did he right. fire him and then he got sued right. and then hired him back and then Elgin so, Baylor went back it was it's it right. a complicated relationship that never made any sense but. but you're right and it's just like these are the struggles at the highest level right amongst billionaires that like you could get hired but at the same time this person still feels this way right if he's feeling this way you just gotta imagine how other folks do right and so that's i think it just illuminates some things um that are going on with society where where we you know people always say racism's over you know you got the civil rights act but they can never point to that point uh you know when it actually died right um and and so when stuff like this comes up, right? There, you know, those who are want to, as you said, they want to move on. And just you know, be this idea that we're just this great melting pot of a nation. They they hate having to deal with this type of stuff, right? And so they just want to quickly move on. Our point to rap music, right? As, <laughs> right. Uh, of uh, you know, that's it's rap music's fault. So we'll see. I you know, I'm still still as we you know, 5 minutes later, I'm still almost 10 minutes later, right, on this conversation. I'm still shocked that the the guys didn't go on strike for a day and try to, you know, just you know, move this out the way. Yeah. Right. Well, but, I will say and yeah. I also want to say real quick, I don't want to be remiss of the sexual harassment. Uh, the part of the story is that uh one one female uh, former employee talked about being physically assaulted by a male coworker outside the office. So she goes to HR and HR basically moves her desk like another 10 feet away from this person. Right. So they're not Jeez. even taking sexual harassment. They're taking it seriously. Know, the joke. Um, there was uh, uh, there was a rep- that part of this reporting is that um, uh, Sarver showed pictures of his wife in a bikini to, to other employees and talked about how sexy she was. I mean, so putting wow. these employees in this odd, uncomfortable. I mean, so there's a sense that there's a phrase that that that. that um, that the author uses talks about uh, that one part. One person describes Sarver as having a quote unquote ownership thing, and I think that's yeah. a, that gets to the concept of what this is. That as an owner, right, he uh, felt untouchable. He could say whatever he wanted to say. He could do whatever he wanted to do to his underlings, his employees. Um, he could, he could, you know, that he was kind of untouchable. And I think that. This gets into the conversation. We talked about this, I, I want to say, last year when the discussion was brought up about should we talk about them as owners, right? You remember this? Right. This The NBA was trying to change how they referred yep. to, the, to them as owners. And I think that some of what people were mocking Draymond Green and others when they brought this to the forefront about how they felt like, own, like these dudes don't own us per se, right? right? Like right. We, we work for them. We are employees, but understand that they don't own us. And so maybe, and so I think they called them, um, man, uh, owner, uh, is it, uh, it's not managers or, or, I think yeah. it's like managers or something like that. Um, management, management group or whatnot. And I think that people were mocking this about how this is, remember, this is when we first hear, sorry, here in the woke language, you remember this in right. the sports arena. Um, but this, 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 but I think Draymond Green was on to something when he, this Sarver, I think, reiterates the kind of points that Draymond was trying to make last year when he was talking about why are we calling these men owners and that this signals a kind of uh, a relationship right. that's not based in mutual in, uh, mutual interest uh, and respect. Uh, and I think that's the number one thing that kind of comes away from this Sarver 
part of it. Right, you're right. And and before we move on to 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 Jimmy Lake, right? Even in fantasy football, which I have now won six in a row, and I'm on top of you. Whatever, don't worry about that. Uh, we don't use owner like I don't use fantasy owners, fantasy managers, right? Um, and I think even for some people, that language changes there. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to my team, by the way. Uh, that was a good. That was a very subtle way you worked at your your success. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Congratulations! But I still yeah. want opening week, yeah. and I'm I'm only one game back or two games yeah. back. You know, whatever. No worries. <laughs> this weekend, uh, the University of Washington took on uh, the University of Oregon in a rivalry game of intense in the northwest uh, area. For those folks who, for my listeners on the west coast. Uh, this is a it was a rain soaked battle. In fact, I watched some of this game. I'm a huge college football person, so I watched part of this game. Uh, uh, played in the rain. It was fumbles everywhere. Oregon was clearly the better team, uh, and eventually asserted its dominance in the win. Uh, at one point, the the two teams got into a little bit of a scuffle, uh, and as they were being separated, the, the coaches run onto the field to separate the players. Uh, Jimmy Lake, the head football coach of uh, the University of Washington runs up to one of his players and appears to either mush his face face mask and then when the player turns away he pushes them in the back and all this is completely unacceptable obviously captured on camera uh replayed on Twitter uh uh, multiple times on my feet my timeline was full of Jimmy Lake is in trouble with this video uh that evening um and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh what this means uh, because one of the kind of challenges we face uh, in uh, college football, at least, is, you know, one of my pet projects is talking about the opportunities that black coaches get, especially at the power five level. And so Jimmy Lake is has been a long time, uh, you know, a long time coach, DB coach, defensive back coach and then defensive coordinator at Washington, successful recruiter in making Washington um, uh, one of the. You know, in their run to the uh, to the playoff, uh, I want to say, oh man, how many? My COVID math is all messed up. So I want to say, like five years ago, Washington made a deep run to the playoffs, and Jimmy Lake was instrumental in the success of that defense. Uh, and so he uh, assumed the top job last year in 2020. Um, and I think that the, one of the things that this this thing is, it's both very, uh, it also speaks to the kind of power. We talked about ownership groups with Robert Sarver, but we also talk about the power imbalances in college sports. Um, and uh, this goes for coaches of all color that the student athletes have very little power uh, in this relationship. And we talked about during COVID how, well, if you go back and listen to our old things about how uh, in the Pac-12, for instance, players, uh, student athletes were preparing to go out on strike uh, right. and about their conditions and talking about COVID testing and, and, and making sure that there was kind of uniform policies across the board as student athletes uh, were being asked to return to play in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and so Jimmy Lake um, <laughs> actions will ultimately mean that he's fired. The Seattle Times, just literally as we're recording, uh, published an article a few hours ago talking about that it's not uh, it's only a matter of when Jimmy Lake will be caught fired, not if. Uh, I imagine that the lawyers for Washington are trying to figure out what the buyout, if there's going to be any, if they can be fired with cause and probably calling his agent and lawyers to figure out what the terms of the separation are going to be. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Today is only uh, we're recording on a Tuesday. I wouldn't be surprised that if it's not announced in the next couple of days, probably by Thursday. Um, and if he makes it to the end of, end of the season, however many games they have left, I'd be completely surprised. But the question is always at hand. Like, it, you know, I asked this, put this on our rundown in part because are we going to, are we going to see Jimmy Lake again? <laughs> no, uh, I, I'll say this. Well, here, first of all, I, I got to admit, I, when we did our pregame, I, I went, I want Booker T on, on you, but not Booker T the wrestler, but Booker T Washington, this idea <laughs> that, you know, what does he say? Your favorite speech. By the way, Derek's favorite speech is the 1895 Atlanta uh, co- compromise speech. But uh, where, you know, he talks about, well, you know, we started at the top. We should have started at the bottom. You know, you look at his resume. He's just a longtime assistant. Then he has a D coordinator position. And then it's like, boom, all of a sudden you're in your Pac-12, right? You're big time. And it's like, 
you know what? I was probably wrong because um, there's plenty of white coaches who make that. You get to make that leap, right, um, mm-hmm. from assistant with no head coaching. You know, no head coaching. It's not like he was the head coach at Eastern Washington, if I'm not mistaken, right? So Yeah. So, you know, but, but you know, he – let's say even if that doesn't happen and this year plays out, next year plays out like it plays out this year, he's, he's, he's done. He's like maybe at best for the next – 10 15 years he's he's in what do you call that non-power five i don't know what you even call that g5 anymore, right, right. G5, he is, group of five he's he's willie taggart because where's taggart at south florida right now florida atlantic university florida atlantic right and and i don't know there's not really a version of that on california right um maybe if he's lucky he'll luck back into the east of washington job because he's from washington right Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there's a ton of schools like that in the Florida region in the South, but I don't think there's a ton of those type of schools in, in, in California. Right. And, 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 you know, he's not getting like San Diego state job, maybe San mm-hmm. Diego. So that's where he's at right now with this incident. I, you know, it's, I don't know, right. It's, it's a year or two. And then he gets to be an assistant at some small, you know, at some school, Maybe Saban takes him on. Who knows? Saban, if I'm not mistaken, Saban took on the guy from. Does he have the guy from Maryland? Yeah, Loxley. Yeah, no, Loxley. No, 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 the guy who killed the kid. No, no, doc, uh, G- DJ Durkin is at Ole Miss. He's the defensive okay, so, coordinator under so, Kiffin, right. Lane Kiffin. So there's an opportunity now. D- is Lake in the Good Old Boys Club? Right. That's that's the question. Mm-hmm. If he's in the Good Old Boys Club, he gets to be a Steve Sarkisian who. Went to multiple jobs and fired for being an alcoholic, right? If he's in the good old boys, including Washington, right? Including Washington, right? He gets to be who gets left on the tarmac, Uh, Uh, Lane Kiffin. He gets to be Lane Kiffin, right? If he's in a good old boys club, he gets to be uh, what Mike Leach, who who (laughs) during COVID tweeted out a noose picture, right? And and who also was I, I believe he lost one of his jobs because he took a player that's concussed and put him in a shed shed in a dark shed craig james's yes. kid right yeah so that's but i don't know if lake is if he's good old boys club right because that's not reserved for people who look like him right lake mm-hmm. is a career guy where if you look at it he's going to where he's comfortable it's eastern washington it's washington i think maybe this is a stop at boise somewhere mm-hmm. he's not leaving that kind of harry into henderson type weather <laughs> yes i just dropped <laughs> harry into henderson on you. he's not and and it, and it's probably because his his network is very small. It's a great network that's eventually able to get him a power five job, mm-hmm. but it's not Mike Leach going all over the place where where you know after he gets fired he can go live in Key West, Florida, ride his bike with his family for a couple of years, and then get right back into it. Right, and I think that is the life of the black coach. Eventually, you know, you tie Willingham, you get two opportunities, you don't make it, we never see you again. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Sublin. We're not gonna see you again, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Right? And and Sublin, when he was at AM with Menzel, and it he should have gone to NFL, by the way. Um, because you know, he's the there's a handful of guys, black guys who've ever been offensive geniuses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he got in that kind of conversation, and then all of a sudden you don't have Menzel, you got you know Kenny Hill, Kenny Trill Hill's kid, or whatever, and then it's a different conversation. Um so yeah, that's my thing about Lake. And when it comes to hitting people, that's a no-no, right? But I think what he also doesn't benefit from is I think we allow white coaches to be very aggressive mm-hmm. and very assertive with their players, and then we automatically back them up. Right. We will say mm-hmm. this is just coaching. We need hard coaching. Just, yeah, yeah, hard yeah. Hard coaching, hard luck. And and I think and I'm not playing. I don't want people to think he's drawing the race card. I think maybe it looks maybe there's room for people to say he didn't hit him in the face. He was just pushing him out the way, right? Yeah. And I, and I don't think there's any room for that. But but I think they would have said something. They're fighting. It's undisciplined. What do you think you do? And I don't think he gets the benefit of that. And I think he's done. And and unfortunately, he doesn't get a coach again. But I think his buyout's gonna be. I don't, know if, I don't know if he's getting a buyout. I don't know if he's getting a buyout. I think he is because I think he could – I think there's wiggle room on that video where it's like I didn't punch, I pushed the kid, not punch the kid type deal. I don't know. I think there 
I my guess is Washington is trying to figure out how not to to get around the buyout, right? Yeah. Because all the schools are losing money, but I don't know if you get around that buyout. It'd be interesting because you know the Washington State coach got three, right? What did he get? Three million in his buyout? How much did he get? He got nothing. He didn't get nothing. Oh yeah, he gave up the money, right? Yeah, no. Right, right, Washington, right. Washington State Golovich got fired with, with cause because with cause with right, cause. and he's yeah. suing. He's suing to get the buyout. Basically, he's suing to get right. That right, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll see. Like, I, but I think he's, you know, he, he's done. He'll be a DB coach for a while, but I don't well, know if he'll I, ever I mean, get that shot. I, so I think there was interesting. Like, uh, I listened. Uh, I listened to some of the post game stuff, and they asked him about it, and he said something about he had talked to his players all week about not losing their composure. Yeah, and then and then he proceeded to lose his composure. Right, right, and, right. and I think your point about how we can view Nick Saban getting in the face of one of his players for making a mistake as as tough, hard nosed coaching, but also Nick Saban wins, right? And I think yeah, that winning solves a lot. Winning, winning gives you a a, a, a kind of veneer that um, that allows people, especially the actors who have the ability and power to make a decision to read that action in a particular way. If he doesn't get another job as a D coordinator in let's say three years, but right. I, I want to revisit this at some point. Yeah. I hope because we're still going at it three years. I do too. Yes. I don't it, we still revisit it at a sala, right? Um right, right. We'll because just get I, drinks, yeah. Because I think that like the, the point that I think always irks me is that as a Maryland alum and fan is that DJ Durkin oversaw a program that 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 was clearly hostile to okay. players and player safety and a young man died and he gets to go walk away from that job with a a buyout and then b gets you know the good old boys network gets him a job at old miss uh and so right. as much as i like old miss as an exciting brand of football under Lane Kiffin. He's an interesting character whose nepotism has finally let him learn how to coach a little bit. Um, this hiring of DJ Durkin is uber problematic. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and one wonders, did we see the last of Jimmy? Like, can Jimmy Lake even be a coach on a roster? And, and does he get the benefit of the doubt? that DJ Durkin got, that Mike Leach got, that other head coaches who've had these similar kinds of incidents have gotten. Um, he's not going to be the head coach of Washington at the end of the season. But the right. real question yeah. is not whether he keeps that job, but is he able to to find other levels of employment as a, a coach? Um, does he get to go to the Nick Saban school for wayward coaches and revive his <laughs> career like Sarkeesian, like Mike Loxley, like Lane Kiffin, like, you know, all these coaches, right. That have come through right. who've worked under, under uh, Nick Saban and have to come out on the other side as viable candidates for power five jobs. Um, and so, you know, the Jimmy Lake is 40, uh, he's 44 years old, right. <laughs> Like he is extremely young for a head football coach, uh, and um, he clearly has made a huge, huge mistake. Um, and the question I want to see—I don't know the man personally. He might be an asshole. He might be a great person. Um, but I, the, the question that I want to see going forward is: Does he is he going to get uh, additional opportunities in the profession? Right. Yeah, I'll just end it at this before we move on. I, you know, you know. Without the punching, he becomes Raheem Morris, right? This kind of long time, got to work your way up, and now he's finally, you know, I mean, he took a team with Josh Freeman to a ten six record, and he's finally getting a head D coordinator yeah. position. I think he was the interim coach for the Falcons last year and, mm -hmm. and did well. They competed, mm -hmm. and and I look at the Falcons, and you know, they have an okay record this year, but they really should be tanking and rebuilding. I don't know why they're holding on to that. You know, you mm -hmm. got. You know, you already got Kyle Pitts. You just need a young quarterback. But whatever, that's not me. Um, but, but you know, Raheem Morris had to go, like, 
down and and he, you know he's a DB coach for a while. He's very few head coaches, right, mm-hmm. in the NFL that that you know have had to do that. Um, and that's probably who he's going to be. And, and shout out to Raheem Morris. I hope he does get an opportunity because he's got he's, Raheem Morris is the uh, uh, defensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams, by the way. Right. right what I uh, say? Uh, you said he, he was the interim coach for the Falcons. I don't know if you last said year he was the interim yeah, coach yeah. for Falcons, and now he's yeah DC, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, for the Rams. Yeah. No, I think that's a good model, right? Uh, without, as you said, without the punching, and so, but you know, Raheem Morris is like the exact same age. He's like forty-five, right? They're they're both the oh same. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So like you know, these dudes are extremely young by head coaching football standards, and you know, the other thing is, and I and I, I do want to, they don't get the label of genius the way that Lane Kiffin and Sarkeesian and other white head coaches who are young get that tat label, right? Sean McVay, right? right. Like they don't get those kind of offensive, defensive geniuses. And so their failure means that they don't get the quick rebound because people don't see them as geniuses. The way Even Mike Leach gets that that, that tag, right. um, even though he runs the same six plays over and over for the last 30 years. Ooh, ooh um, shots fired. Shots fired. Um, all right, let's talk about A.A. Ron real quick because uh, last week we were very hard on – last time we out, we were – we, we talked about Kyrie's decision. Um, and all I'll say is I think that for those who don't know, Aaron Rodgers announced uh, got COVID this week. And uh, despite saying in an early press conference that he was, quote, unquote, immunized, uh, he right. was, in fact, unvaccinated. And he operated uh, with his media uh, availability as if he was unvaccinated. Uh, I mean, as if he was vaccinated. So he didn't wear a mask, et cetera. Uh, giving the impression that he was vaccinated. Uh, he caught COVID after his Halloween spectacular, where I did see on the Instagram where he dressed up as John Wick. I suspect John that if we, wanna, if, we, if we want to locate where his COVID inter, intersection came, it was probably the Halloween weekend. Um, right. Yeah. Um, and so he, he was out this week, uh, and people were really talking about how he had misled, uh, purposely misled, uh, the 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 media, but also uh, the sporting public. Uh, he got on uh, the Pat McAfee show podcast uh, and every week, and he uh, defended his position with a, a long ranging interview of uh, uh, bingo card of of <laughs> right wing anti vax conspiracy. Uh, he did his own research. Uh, he listened to Joe. He got he listened to Joe. Uh, such noted authorities such as the podcaster Joe Rogan. Uh, uh, he's apparently sent uh, about, uh, was it 500 pages of information? They said 500 pages, yeah. 500 Jeez. pages to the league office, and the league office thought he was a quack, um, yeah. which says a lot. Um, Can you believe that? Like when I get a student who goes over like by a couple hundred words, I'm like, oh my gosh, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> can, you be, can you imagine some intern having to read this? <laughs> Part of writing is editing. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know no. he didn't write 500 words. He just put up, he, da- he just downloaded just, a bunch man. of stuff and sent it in yeah. as a one big PDF file. Right, right. Hey, can I say something? You know, so so he's got fined $15,000 for lying, right? Um, yeah. And then going to his party, I believe. And then the Packers got fined, if I'm not mistaken, 300000 for for letting him roll around like that, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 here's my thing with AA Ron. There's a couple of things. One, and we'll get to this MLK point. One, I I don't like the deception. We're in a pandemic. You, you either you either let us know you're unvaxxed or or not, right? But to mm-hmm. use that word and then ask if he's vaccinated and use something else like he is, and then go on to talk vaccination. I don't like that because then you operate. He was operating in real time like he was vaccinated, right? Yes. And that's dangerous. And you can see how it not only got him sick, but someone else got sick there. And that could have spread, right? So if he's just a normal guy that's not getting tested every day, that becomes a major problem in a community, right? And 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 so you know, that's why they have those testing programs. You know, part of it too, I don't know how to quite put this. He's just smug and it just it irritates the heck out of me, but I think he leaned on his whiteness, right. To, to somehow be able to just, you know, he can get away with it. Right. He's, you know, there's a couple points. It's, it's that idea that I'm going to go do what I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, but it's when he gets pushed back 
he leans on his whiteness and starts to use terms like woke mob, witch hunts. And then in, in 2021, what that signals to a lot of people is that you're going after white people, right? You're, you're going after white. Like to me, yeah. that's what it signals. Like yeah. when you say the woke mob and when you say witch, you're, and it's specifically white guys, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And he, when he says that going on that show, he's talking to a crowd, right? And we can see it in real time who picks that up. Yep. Fox, uh, can I say Fox? There's a new station, Rise with Ox. Yeah. <laughs> right? I believe on, on there, and, and I don't watch, but somebody had tweeted it. Some, there's some guy who literally, I think he makes his career, his living, just watching Fox News and tweeting <laughs> stuff. It's a really weird thing that you could do. But, yeah, but anyway, do they have a picture it? today with, you know, and, and Jay Williams, by the way, who's black, at ESPN, I think he's angling for a Fox job or something like that, by the way. Um, that's just another conversation. Um, tweeted out like, are they to put it in their news station that you know, um, he's not Aaron Rodgers is getting more pushback or flagged in, and then it's just these pictures of black players, right? Yeah, the guy who the Raiders cut, um, Deshaun Watson and Tyreek Hill, and it's like purposely showing black guys as menaces, right? Yes. And then you have this innocent white guy, and they're not using black. They're not using white, but it's the visual of this innocent white yeah. guy who, by the way, I think before they even put that out, hadn't been punished yet. And let's be clear, yeah. somebody who's worth $100 million, $200 million, $15,000 is nothing to him, right? That's like a parking ticket. He didn't ticket. lose a game. He has, he's kind of got reprimanded by one of his sponsors. I thought he should have lost game sponsorships just the way he deceived. I thought it should have been a, a multi-game yeah. suspension. That's what I thought too. But I think like they like the you. But I think the union, yeah. like I think he, you know, the union league, like there are certain kind of parameters. I suspect that the, but but the truth of the matter, yeah, all all that's true. I want to talk about the Ox Channel, uh, yeah, rhymes with Ox Channel with that that imagery, right? Because right. it was such a even if it was a false, a, an unequal equation, right? The dude from the Raiders is cut. Deshaun Watson. I don't even know what his status is, but he ain't hasn't suited played. Up. He hasn't played all season. And, and then, most people say he should never play again. Right. <laughs> like, like this is I don't right. know anybody who's like, yeah, they should throw him out there. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Like there's a sense. Right. And so Tyreek Hill is the most uh, ambiguous of those situations. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, Tyreek Hill got fined more than $15,000. Right. <laughs> to be honest. And then, yeah. And, and I don't want to like, belittle what Tyreek Hill did and the NFL's already done what they had to do with that, right? right. The NFL's terrible could be clear. Yes. NFL's terrible at punishing that big Ben. Um yes. but you know, but it's like, you know, they went through it and and they obviously they're gonna let someone like a Tyreek Hill back on and 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 the voice recordings that you hear are are awful. But they you know they've done, you know, when Peterson got, you know, publicly um Challenge, the he got in trouble. Chastise, yeah. he got big time. I mean, he was suspended for a while for mm-hmm. for beating his kid. Tyreek Hill is kind of in that same boat. Tyreek Hill, uh, I think his prior penalty was in college, right? Um, mm-hmm. Guys like Joe Mixon have, you know, they paid their penalty, right? Um, and I'm not saying that they should never play again. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not taking it lightly, but these guys, mm-hmm. right? I've, 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 you know, NFL did what they had to do. Um, but but it, it wasn't about that for them, right? They don't care yeah. about what Tyreek Hill did. They don't care about what Deshaun Watson did. They just care about that visual of having these supposed black criminals. Yes, and this oh, white absolutely. Guy it was never about actually being, what they did. Yes, being attacked by the woke mob, right? And yeah. that's what Aaron Rodgers played into. He's smart enough to know what he was doing. He's been listening to Joe Rogan for long enough or whatever podcast or whatever he follows because, you know, that guy resists programming or gal. I don't know who that is. Pat McAfee's uh, the guy I played for. He's a punter for the Colts. No, no, no. The resist programming Twitter account that always puts like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know that is. yeah, this, yeah, like yeah. 2010, like, dang, that's messed up. Um, <laughs> I mean, this person's valuable service, by the way, who, who looks this stuff up, but it, I think the other day is like Aaron Rodgers follows this person on Instagram who believes this, like conspiracy people, right? Yeah. And that's who he's playing with. And he knew what he was doing at his press conference. He knew what he was doing on that, what, the Pat McAfee show. Yeah. Um, he knew, he knows his base um, and he knows uh, what he was saying. And, and my first, I've never met him, but when I when I looked, I said, okay, there's something there. 
Mina was it Mina Kimes? Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah. Um, you know, she, she a, has a interview with him. She did a feature on him in 2017 or so, I think. Right. It was. Yeah. It's right. It's there the kneeling, and it's like the way he said it. We're talking about his um players kneeling, like that's their fight, right? It was like kind of weird. Like I support it, but that's their fight. I was like, that's kind of weird. Like you're not yeah. you're not about this fight. Like that's that they always seem kind of off, but he was always given leeway or given that rope because he was a discount double check guy he was doing those cool little things so you didn't think anything of it right he's well he's dating like famous actresses and stuff so you yeah. i think he's put on that pedestal of you know every guy right that's yeah you know, you know what it is person. though well it's not even that he's every guy he i think he pres- he was conscious i think uh, i was listening to an article about the mina Khan's, uh feature from uh i think it was in espn uh a couple few years ago now and she talked about how he was very thoughtful and selected his word wisely. And I think he, I think the real she thought it was thoughtful. I I think in hindsight it reads more as careful, right? Like that he is in very intentional about trying to to craft a particular kind of image, uh, and that that image, whether it be true or not, is that he is the intellectual kind of quarterback, right? Rather he's not right. Terry Bradshaw, the beer drinking leader, rah rah guy. He's the smart guy, right? Um, right. They, and, what do they say about Bradshaw? He can't spell the word cat if you spot him on the, the C and A or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, <laughs> or the C and a T or something like that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and and I think that, it, but he's also not like Tom Brady, who's seen as uh, like the alternative. Like the he's like the 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 captain of the football team, but you know I live that alternative medicine. We do we we drink Pilates and stretching and all those right. people are hanging out. Like that's not Aaron Rodgers' get down, right? Uh, right? And so his thing was always, you know, he hosted Jeopardy. He tried to, you know, he was a guest host of Jeopardy, right? He's trying to signal his bona fides as a, he went to Cal, right? He's trying to signal a certain kind of intellectualism as part of his brand that other quarterbacks have not necessarily kind of of manifested. Uh, And so I think part of what um, was disappointing about uh, the, the revelation that not that he had gotten COVID, but that he had misled folks that through the words immunize is that because of his kind of perceived intellectualism, we knew that that was intentional. Right. 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 and I think that that is uh, part of that process. And, it, you know, all the stuff that he said on the two shows, both one today and one last week, um, belies the point that 800,000 people have died from, from COVID uh, in the United States and millions more have, have passed away across the globe. Uh, and at the same time, millions of people have taken the vaccines. Uh, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And, and so... I think that there is, uh, you know, so even if you had done your own research, one, you don't have uh, my, the old math teacher in me that he doesn't have a good number sense, right? Like his sense of scale is all flawed yeah. uh, uh, from the get go. Um, <laughs> lastly, let me just say, can I crack this joke, bro? Why do you go yeah. on the Pat McAfee uh, show with a Doc Holiday shirt? Uh, someone on right. Twitter pointed this out. And so you over here talking about with this Doc Holiday, a person who, uh, who was nearly dead in the famous uh, shootout at the OK Corral was dying from a respiratory uh, disease. <laughs> right, right. That don't make no sense. Well, he's make, not that smart. Yeah. Right. You know, like that, that's, that was also to me, uh, you know, I think he, I, there's a sense that I, I felt like he chose that t-shirt intentionally, but did not clearly, but clearly missed the memo, uh, you know, right. so he wanted that. I'm your Huckleberry part of it, like, right? He didn't want the, like, he, he didn't want the tuberculosis. From a disease. He, he, want, he want the tuberculosis part, <laughs> right? Right, right. He didn't want the TB. Oh. He wanted the I'm your Huckleberry. But you know, the the other point when you know we talked about this or had tweeted it out last week when he you know he brought up himself as this MLK type figure, right? This oh god, we should have done a whole show on just teaching people about MLK, but this this idea we, we still got January. Of, Right. And and I think he was really trying to take what, if I'm not mistaken, the civil disobedience, what what he takes from Thoreau, right? Like an unjust law. You have the right yeah. to break it type still. And it's like, what, this is not a law, right? This is not. Right, right. Whatever. He's using rule, the, the word rules versus law, but this is not, this is not that. And I think it, it belittles, it, it poopoos on whatever words you want to use for lack of a better term, what those 
people in the civil rights movement actually fought for, but also what the people in Jim Crow had to live with. Right. Yes. This idea that you can just go ahead and say, I'm like him. Okay. Cause I didn't wear a mask. I didn't want to wear a mask during, during my interviews. That's not what you're doing. You're doing there to deceive it because you're too coward to tell people yeah. or whoever your publicist or whoever you're thinking to tell people that, that you are anti-vax. Right. And you chose that, but to go to, to hide and cower under the, the banner of MLK. I can't stand that because but you know what? The, the worst the he's the worst kind of people, man. Let me just say this. Yeah. I'm gonna say this because I you know, you got me on let's say this and get out because I know you gotta watch I, the I know I'm gonna watch the second <laughs> half of this Kentucky game. Um uh you know, Aaron Rodgers is the kind when he used that MLK quote, he's the kind of person who throws rocks and hides his hand. Right. You know, and that's the worst kind of people, man, because that's the kind of person who will say whatever to try to avoid accountability. Right. And uh, and then blame it on, as you pointed out, the woke mob or cancel culture, you know, using MLK as a way of justifying his 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 idiocy. Um, uh, you know, I think that those are the worst kinds of, you know, thing like in hindsight, Kyrie got a, it, it, I got much more respect for Kyrie is like this is where this is my position. This is where I'm standing. But he didn't really say why he was doing it yet, which is still weird. But he's just doing it because he doesn't. He's a free thinker. But yeah, Who, at least he Kyrie? said he's not doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he said. I mean, did you watch the the? This is we backtracking from a week. But did you watch okay. the Instagram thing where he got on there and he was talking For like twenty six minutes? Yeah. yeah, it it, it was it was part of it was like it felt like a nineties rap record, right? Like we were listening <laughs> to like you know it was like brand newbie. It was it was very much a a, a very much a nineties. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're not vaxxed either, but go ahead. <laughs> Alternative religion, 85, 5% it was the, it was. Hey, I was watching a Diggable Planets video the other day about uh, the, when all this Kyrie stuff was going on. I was like, yeah, they're not vaxxed. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure. Like, although, is, although, although, uh, what's, what's the sorry, lady's Diggable name? Is, is it Doodlebug? Doodlebug is, <laughs> her dad was a professor at UVA. Oh, okay. Wow. So, so, so she, maybe, she, she might, yeah, maybe. She, she might be vaxxed. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. We should do a rap like who's vax in the rap world because I bet that. Yeah, is I like, don't want to figure that out because because your heroes would be like in bad yeah. places. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I you know, A. A. Ron is uh you know he he's you know he's he's doubling down. Uh, he knows that in taking this position, he will be saved and lifted up by like you said in real time that that population of folks even though for for most of his career he did not want to affiliate with those people so now he's at the point where right. you know at 38 39 he's he there's some he sees clear value in this anti-vax position yeah. um, although his fiance eats clay so i suspect and makes her own medicine and draws her water from springs from herself so i suspect oh, that gosh. that i yeah. i suspect that 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 is a broadly an, uh, uh, unvaxed. I won't say they're anti-vax, but they're definitely unvaxed right. relationship. There, yeah, there are some clean living people, and I will say this, and I've said this before, and we'll get out of here. I I can be sympathetic. You know, it's been a year almost for uh, vax hesitant people. You've had your chance. No one's turned into zombies, but you know, only because. We got all our vaccines when we were kids, right? And and this is what our parents told us to do. And now you're an adult and you have to make this decision in real time. I get people at first being hesitant, even though there's a global pandemic. And part of that hesitancy is the other side of the aisle mucked it up. I don't want to point fingers, but it got mucked up, right? Like all of a sudden, this is a bad thing. This is a Democrat thing. And, and, it, and it became that. And it just clouded people's judgment like damn i don't want to get sick and die right and i don't want to get sick and die or and pass this on to my kids who are very vulnerable shout out to the more kids who are actually uh scheduled to get their vax uh i think the youngest next week so the little fourth graders are getting their vax right um but i think that's what happened i understand that but look it's been a long it's been almost a year now right Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this. <laughs> what research you got to do? Everything's like this is this is. I think this is the best thing for you. This is the best thing for public health. And I think and and we'll end it here. The most irritating part, besides the MLK stuff, besides just kind of the smugness, 
it's just deceiving folks, right? Mm -hmm. um, Putting folks in danger. Want to have a tough conversation? Yeah. Uh, well, well, can I make this as the last point? Like, yeah. it's putting folks in danger in a team sport where we're not only talking about his teammates, but we're talking about the people who wrap ankles, the people who do laundry. Right. We're talking about the people in inside, you know, in and out of the field, uh, uh, the building on a day to day basis who got families, who got kids under the age of 12 who haven't had a chance to, you know what I mean? Like, or right. who got, who got, um, you know, elderly parents or, or, or loved ones that they 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 would like to keep safe. Like they're they're like you know it it is the most selfish like in a team sport where we're talking about like football is like prides itself on this notion of sacrifice, right? Like this right. the whole point of it is like the people who let him stand upright every single day put their freaking face in someone else's face mask. Like that's the whole right. point of the job, right? Them offensive linemen are running their heads into someone else's head every single play so you can stand up and make all the money. But you couldn't right. do that. Like, to me, that belies – I mean, this is where, uh, as much as I, I kind of loathe Jerry Jones, this is where Jerry Jones is right. Like, <laughs> right. we a team. We're trying to win. Like, this is part of that process. Yeah, right. And so for you to be like, I'm all unvaxxed, like, you know, and I thought I would have had far more respect for <laughs> – for for the Packers, their fans would have not liked it. But if they'd have drawn a line in the sand and been like, "We just going with the future," and this is the time to cut bait. When he was, I mean, he disrespected the the management. Right. Talk about how why come they don't and and trust me and and ask me my opinion about moves and stuff. And I'm like, well, you I get all that, and then that's how you treat them, yeah. And, and then yeah. I'm like, on top of that, why should I trust your decision making at this point? Right. Right. Anyways. Why should I get state form? Okay. All right. <laughs> On that note, we are out. It's been a long one. All right, All man. Right. Peace. All right, peace.